0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. My name is Brian Fowler. Um, I am the chaplain of AGI by day in a moonlighter at Redeemer Presbyterian Church. So I'm back to be with you all again. Uh, Always glad to fill in here. Um, This morning, we're going to be looking at uh, Mark chapter 2. Uh, Mark chapter 2, we're going to jump in at the very end of this chapter, verses 23 through 28, uh, where Jesus is in the middle of a controversy over the Sabbath. Uh, Mark 2 is obviously, at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Uh, Mark, unlike Matthew and Luke, uh, does not give a birth narrative of Christ. He picks up immediately with the life of Christ. In fact, he introduces his gospel to us, the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and then immediately launches into the story of this man, Jesus, who he's just introduced to us. We see his baptism, his temptation. We see some controversies arising as Jesus, as we see in the beginning of uh, Mark 2, he goes back home, that is to the region of Galilee, uh, and he's interacting with the Pharisees there. We come to the end of this section, uh, and Jesus is in the middle of a controversy over the Sabbath with the Pharisees. Let me read this for us here, Mark 2, verses 23 through 28. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields. As they made their way, his disciples began... To pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was hungry, and, those, and, and he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of presents, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of God is Lord, even of the Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. So we've heard your word this morning. May you sink it deep into our hearts that we may know what it means to rest in you to find our hope and our purpose in you and in you alone. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, that you are the Lord of the Sabbath, and that you are the one who gives us our rest. It's your name that we pray. Amen. So last week, um, I had the flu. You might be able to tell some lingering effects of that. Brought my water up here today just in case my voice goes. I'm over it now, so don't worry. Uh, But it was not a great weekend last weekend. Uh, I was laid up all weekend in my bed and between using my newfound neti pot, which, by the way, I probably will be preaching a lot less at Redeemer because I think I've been going in neti pot sales after this flu. It's an amazing device if you've never used one before. Uh, But between using my neti pot and passing out in my bed, uh, the only thing that I was really able to do was to see all the notifications on my phone of two great football coaches, you probably know who they are, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban, who both retired, were fired within 24 hours of each other. You guys might be familiar with Nick Saban, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick, the coach of the Patriots. He has won the most Super Bowls out of any NFL coach. And Nick Saban, although, you know, I hate to admit it from the pulpit because I'm a UT fan, I think uh, Josh Heupels is the best. But Nick Saban is the best college football coach of all times. There's no question. He's won the most championships, most winning college football coach of all times. And here are these two guys within 24 hours while I was laid up with the flu, they were tired. And, and immediately the conversation was what are they going to do next? Here are these two guys, 71 and 72 years old, and everyone's saying, what are they going to do next? What's the next thing that Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are going to do? As if it wasn't good enough to have spent your entire career dedicated to football, to have all these wins. They're saying, where are these guys going to go next? What are they going to do next? And I think what is true what we saw as as these stories went out and what what is the reality and as we all interact with this is we have a hard time with rest in our culture I read an article recently uh, I think it was in the New York Times where it was talking about this this reality that in you know ages past that those who had the most um, money who had the most status within a culture that they would show that status by spending leisure time. Now I'm not saying that's you know a better way to use your time, but but that was the status symbol of you know bygone age that that those who had the most status and had the most wealth would show that by you know going to Africa on a safari for you know a month or two at a time. That they would show their wealth by by showing the amount of leisure time that they had, but today the more wealthy you are and the more status you have, the more you work. In fact, there's this reverse reality going on that those who are at the highest end of companies put in more and more time within those corporations. That, That we give ourselves over to work and we find it very hard to take a break from that work. We find it hard to do exactly what Jesus is challenging us here in Matthew or sorry, Mark chapter two, we find it hard to rest. This is the problem of our age. And this was the problem of Jesus's age. What does it mean for us to rest? There was a video I saw on uh, social media where this guy was talking about, you know, having these six 12 hour, or sorry, um, uh, four, six hour days crammed into his 24 hour day. And he was saying, you know, I can get more done in my uh, four days that are crammed into one day than anyone can do in their one day. As if this was some wonderful thing. And, 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 you know, here this reality is we struggle to find our rest. We struggle to find rest. And yet Jesus is challenging us here. What does it really mean to rest? What does it really mean to Sabbath? What is God inviting us to today? Because we can, as the Pharisees do here, we can throw up walls and say, no, 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 rest is not for me. Or we can put the Sabbath within a box and say, now that I've understood this and made my rules and regulations around it, I don't have to really think about it. But yet Jesus says here in this passage, the Sabbath was made for us. He gives us this invitation. He invites us in to this place of rest. He says that the Sabbath was made for us. That it is an invitation to us, not a burden for us. And yet, as we said, we struggle with finding this rest. But what we want to see together in this passage today is it's only by God's grace that we can truly experience the rest that Jesus promises. Even though we struggle with this rest that Jesus offers to us here in Mark chapter 2, it's only by God's grace that we truly enter into this rest that Jesus is promising to us. And we want to look at that together in three ways today. We want to look at the problem that we have with the Sabbath. We want to look at the purpose for the Sabbath. And finally, we want to look at the promise of the Sabbath. We want to look at the problem with the Sabbath. We want to look at the purpose for the Sabbath. And we want to look at the promise of the Sabbath. First, the problem with the Sabbath. We already kind of talked about this. The Pharisees are challenging Jesus. They're, They're having a problem, as we do, with rest. Jesus is walking through the grain field with his disciples, and we have to understand here for a second, they're not frustrated with Jesus and the disciples for picking the extra heads of grain that's there in the grain field. In fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, God made this provision within the law. He said that farmers in Israel, that if they had a grain field, that the edge of that field, 10% of it, was allotted to those who would walk through and do exactly what Jesus and his disciples are doing. So there's not a legal issue with the fact that they are stealing from this farmer. The problem that they have is that they're doing this on the Sabbath. And you may know if you're familiar with the gospel that The Pharisees had this thing called the Mishnah. The Mishnah had a bunch of regulations, some dozens of regulations, on what you could do on the Sabbath. And in fact, the Mishnah had within that code 39 different categories for what they called work. And the third of those categories was farming. And they're saying, Jesus, you're doing this thing that we call work on the Sabbath, and we have all these rules about work, and we have all these rules about Sabbath, and you are breaking the rules. You're breaking our rules. And we have a problem with that. We have a problem with you. We have a problem with your disciples. And here they come to Jesus, the rabbi, the leader. And they say, we have a problem with you and how you're leading your disciples. So we're here to call you out. We're here to correct you. But Jesus enters into this exchange with them. And he says, your problem isn't with the Sabbath. Your problem is with rest. Your problem isn't really with The fourth commandment and what God says there, your problem is with rest, that you want to make this category, you want to make these rules and these regulations, you want to talk about how you do the Sabbath and how you think about rest so that when you can control that and when you can place this within your box that you no longer have to really think about the fact that God invites us into his rest that he invites us into this place of knowing him, of being in rest with him, of worshiping him. In the movie, The Godfather, and and I do have a reason for bringing that up, okay? So I don't just like to talk about the Godfather in church, but in The Godfather, there is a scene at the end of that film, if you're familiar with it, most iconic scene probably in the film, where where Michael, who is, is now the newly minted patriarch of the family, where he is in in the church service, becoming the godfather of his nephew. And he's there at this baptismal service, becoming the godfather of his nephew, and he's taking on the vows of the church. You remember the scene, we say these vows sometimes in here, oftentimes within the church, the words of the Apostles' Creed, do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? Michael says, I do. Do you believe in his word? Do you follow his word? I do. Do you renounce the works of Satan? The priest asks me. He says, I do. Do you renounce all his ways? And he says, I do. And, and there's this other scene that's splicing on top of that of, of Michael organizing this hit of all the mob leaders within the city. And what they're doing within that moment is they're juxtaposing the reality of how we can come into church, that we can say all these things with our mouths, that we can confess that we love God, that we can confess that we believe in God, that we can confess that we renounce the works of Satan as he does. And yet his actions were not that. His actions were very far from that. And I think you and I also likewise challenge with what we say and affirm with our mouths that as the Pharisees, they say, you know, God, we're all about the Sabbath, right? We're all about honoring this. And yet the problem is, is that our hearts are pretty far from that. The problem that we have is what Jesus is offering to us is oftentimes not what we're looking for. That what Jesus promises to us is not the thing that we're trying to fill our lives with. And the problem that we have is with simply resting in Jesus. This is the problem that the Pharisees had, that what they wanted to do was they wanted the Sabbath to be shaped around them. We oftentimes want God to come around us, to be shaped around our desires. We want our Sabbath, our rest, our worship to be shaped around us. And what Jesus would challenge us with here is he says, is that really what we need? And as we think about what we really need, let's move into what is the purpose for the Sabbath? Jesus reveals the purpose for the Sabbath as he goes in to answering the Pharisees, as he answers their challenge here. He goes into the situation with David while he was king. David was out. Uh, Saul was chasing him around. This scene comes from the book of Samuel. Saul's chasing him around the kingdom. And he comes one day uh, to the house of the priest, Abiathar. Uh, We have to understand that this may not exactly have happened on the Sabbath, but it's not really that big of a deal. The uh, rabbinic tradition says that it did happen on the Sabbath. But we don't really know what day of the week this happened on. But what Jesus is pointing to is this reality. Here's David being chased by Saul around the kingdom. And he comes into the priest's house and the priest has the bread of presence, which God commanded the law that would be there to remind the people of, of God's presence with them. This is one of the holy elements that's, that's there around um, the altar in the tabernacle. And David and his men are hungry, they're starving, and they take the bread of presence and the priest gives it to them and they have a meal together. And Jesus says, remember how David did that and God allowed that? Remember how that happened? Well, in the same way, the Sabbath takes what is holy and it sanctifies the common. But this is the purpose of the Sabbath. This is why God has given us this rest. Because as David went into the temple and he took the bread of presence, that which is holy, that which he could not eat, that God threw what is holy sanctify that which is common. He says, we all need that reality. We all need that. We need that rest. We need that hope. He says, we need a God who is going to take that which is holy, and he's going to use that to make the common holy. He's going to make us holy. That this God comes to us, that this God, he invites us into his holiness. And that's what we see as as we think about the Sabbath being worked out as a principle from creation, that after God had created the earth within six days, and God said it was all very good that as we open up in Genesis chapter 2, that on the seventh day, God rested. That he rested. And in this rest, this is a rest that we are invited into. How do we know that? Because when God leads Israel into the wilderness, and he says in the fourth commandment, he says, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is holy, it's set apart. And on it you shall do no work, but it's a Sabbath to the Lord. Now, two things are going on there. One, God has said to us, that there are six days of the week that we labor. But then he said to us that there's one day of the week that we don't do that and we do something else. So we set it apart and we worship him. So in that command, there is a commandment to work, but there's also a commandment to rest. It's just like the trees within the garden, right? God says you can eat whatever tree is in the garden, but there's one tree you don't eat of it. And that's the problem. We always struggle with the one thing we can't do, the prohibition. And Israel struggled with the prohibition because as they go into exile in Babylon, God says, for 70 years, the land will rest because you didn't rest. And that's the challenge for us. But the purpose is that God had created us. God has created us to worship him. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 2. That's why he gives the commandment. In um, Exodus chapter uh, 20, when he gives the Sabbath commandment and the fourth commandment, because we are created to worship. And the way that we worship is by the grace that he offers us in this rest. God invites us into this place of rest. He says, we are created to worship this God we created to be in a relationship with this God that is founded upon that reality of worship and the way that we get there is through the grace that he gives us to rest. The grace that he gives us to rest, to spend that time in his worship. And so as this Sabbath principle is completed in the book of Hebrews chapter four, we're reminded, it says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest. For the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Right, Hebrews says, Look, we are created to worship God, and by his grace he invites us into this place of rest. He invites us into this rest that that he offers us as we think about this narrative cascading that he offers us from the beginning, through the cross, and now as a perpetual hope. That we can rest with God. Because of his grace and his mercy to us, that he gives us that place in our lives to worship, worship him, to be reminded what it is that we are created for, to know him, and to rest with him. That is this promise that the writer of Hebrews is looking forward to. He's saying, so there is that hope. So there is that rest that still remains. I have been running since I was in high school, um, and recently signed up for a race for me and my wife and my son. We're going to do uh, our first race together as a family, so pretty exciting. Uh, and, and Will was asking me, you know, what, what is it like to run in a race? And we were practicing as we we're out running on the road, you know, what it's like to you know, run to the finish line. Um, and I don't know how many of you guys run, have run before. Uh, I ran in, you know, 800 uh, meters, but I, I really like running cross country. I wasn't good at any running, uh, if you can't tell. I'm not not the best runner in the world. I had some uh, good teammates who were. But what I always remember on race day, you know, we all line up at the line for a cross-country meet. You go out and you run 3.2 miles. You run all over the woods, everywhere. And then you come to the finish line. And we don't all get there at the same time, right? Right. But when you get to the finish line, the race is over. You're done. You don't have to run anymore that day unless you want to. It's your choice after that point. The race is completed. I had a friend on the team who he would give everything he could. His name was Brian, not to be confused with me because he was way better. But he would give everything he could in that race. And as soon as he got to the finish line, he would just collapse on the ground. Right there at the end of the race. And I was like, man, I don't want to do that because I want to enjoy my Saturday. Okay, I'm not going to just give it all and collapse at the finish line. That's why I was the lesser Brian. But he would give it all and just collapse on the finish line. And then there's me who'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to go try the best I can. I'll get to the finish line and I'll enjoy the rest of my day. But no matter how we get to that finish line, when we get there, the race is finished. The race is complete. That's what Jesus is offering to us here in the Sabbath. That's what the purpose of the Sabbath is. No matter where we get to it, how we get to that finish line, we don't all get there at the same time either, right? But when we get there, we rest. And Jesus says, it is that hope, that grace, that rest that is there for us. That's what we celebrate every week as we come together and worship that great finish line that God has promised that reminds us of the ultimate finish line where we will rest forever with Him. That we have a foretaste of that reality that as we cross that finish line together, as we enter into that place of rest, that we do so by His grace and we do so equally. That it's the same finish line for everyone, whether you were first or last That it's the same finish line. It's the same rest that is promised. And Jesus says that is the purpose of the Sabbath, that we need that rest. We need that place where we come together and are reminded of who we are, that we are created to worship this God. That we are created to be in his presence. And we need that by his grace. And we come to that together as we come into his presence, as we share And that rest. But finally, let's consider what is the promise that God offers us in this rest. Oliver O'Donovan, the great political theologian, he has said that the most political thing that we do is we worship God. The most political thing that we do is we worship God. Because in worship, we are declaring to ourselves and to others, we are declaring that Jesus is Lord, and not our fitness, not our jobs, not our money, not mammon, not our leisure, not anything else. But we're saying Jesus is Lord of our lives, and that's what Jesus says to us as we come to this passage. He says, "The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath." So. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. As he brings this to a close, he reminds us that the common is sanctified by the sacred, that we need this rest, that this is what we are created for. That this rest is, is an opportunity for us as we come again in worship to be reminded that we are sanctified by God. That it is the sacred, is the holy God who sanctifies us in this rest. And that this rest was given to us, not something of our invention. The purpose behind it was not in our creation, but it was a gift to us. It was a gift that God gives us. A gift that he gives us by his grace. That this rest is not something that we own, that we have created. But Jesus says, no, that... This is a gift that was given to humanity. And as a gift that was given to humanity, he says, now the son of man, Jesus Christ is Lord of this gift, that he is the giver of this gift. That he is the one who reminds us that that we are created to rest. And he gives us that rest. That Jesus, through his living on our behalf, that Jesus, through his sacrificing for us, that Jesus, as he took on the cross on that Friday night, as he went to the tomb on that Saturday and did what? Rested on the Sabbath for us. And as he resurrected on the Sunday as Lord of our resurrection, as Lord of our hope. That Jesus reminds us that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And it is through him that he invites us into this place of rest. It is through faith in Jesus alone that he says that we're granted access, that we're given life, that we're given hope in this rest. Jesus says what we need is we need the hope that he offers to us through the cross. And we need a life that is built around that hope. Because we talked about the fact that we can come in here and we can make confessions with our mouths. But the reality, Jesus says, is that we need to have our lives grounded within the hope that Jesus offers. That the promise is that that it is Jesus and him alone that gives us the rest that we need. And it is Jesus who has made the way for us. And and the reality is, is that we are invited freely, that we have this invitation to come in to rest in him, to find our lives fulfilled through him. And the question is, what does that really look like in practice? What does that look like for us? I um, weekly am involved with uh, leading Bible studies at work. Uh, We have a collection of about 100 employees that are different locations who come to these Bible studies every week. And you know, as is the common thing we offer, we do it over lunchtime. We offer a lunch there and a lot of people are like, oh, people are there just for lunch. And there are people who are there for the lunch. I wouldn't I'd be the first to tell you it's true. We offer good lunches, Noodles & Company, Moe's, if you ever want to come check it out. It's a great lunch, catered. Uh, but we offer lunch and there are people who come in and they eat the lunch and they fall asleep while we're teaching the Bible. And it's okay because they're there. But there's some people, one in particular, a friend of mine, Leilani, who comes in every week, she gets her lunch, but she stays engaged. And as we, I've gotten to know her over the years, you know, she'd be the first to tell you about all the struggles that she's experienced in her past. She'd be the first to tell you about the challenges that she's had with addiction What she'll also tell you is that she's growing in her relationship with Christ. And she comes every week to hear the word because she is reminded of the forgiveness that she has in Jesus. And if you go meet her out on the floor, you see a person who is helpful. You see a person who's joyful. She can be like the rest of us. She can be short at times but she has this joy, she has this hope that she carries with her. And what she comes in every week to be reminded of is where the source of this joy comes from and why it is that Jesus has forgiven her and what that hope is that she carries in her life. What she does every week is she comes and finds that place of rest in God's word. And through that rest, she goes out and she lives the rest of her life. Likewise, God calls us to that reality. He says that the Sabbath was made for us in order that we could find our rest in our God. That we could find our hope in Him. That through His blessing that we could go out through the rest of our weeks, not as of unto ourselves, but because of him and through him and by him, that in all the places he calls us to go, he does so as a God who gives us our rest. As the God who has given us our purpose. As the God who has united us in worship. And in uniting us in worship, he sends us out into the world in order that we might be his light and his salt where we go. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love for us through Christ. We thank you that Christ gave himself for us in order that we could have life with you forever. And that this life might be a life lived out of your rest. May we know that rest this day and forever. And may we rest in you. In your name we pray. Amen.